Today's reading is Matthew 15, 21 to 28. It can be found on page 904 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me as we begin? God of grace, we come into this place and some of us come with hurt or um, difficulty on our mind. Um, Maybe a relationship in our life is all that we can think about. A relationship that never happened and we're wondering why or a relationship that has been a great disappointment and a great pain or a relationship that we are deeply concerned about and we just have no idea what's going to happen with it. Others of us come and we've got questions because of the way that life has gone recently and we're open to you in a new way, but we we have questions, we have doubts, we have uh, skepticism about even listening, even sitting in a place like this and singing songs that everyone else is singing and words that everyone else seems to believe and we're, we're not sure, we're not there yet. And others of us come and we're in a place maybe that is um, so, uh, so just uh, comfortable that um, we might describe our spiritual pulse as, as just kind of we're not feeling anything, we're just numb. Um, and we're looking for something maybe to wake us up or looking for a faith that seemed more vibrant at a former time. God, whether we come from any of those kind of places or just with great joy because of how real you have been in our life recently, uh, help us to know as we sit here that we are all in the same boat when we come before you, that we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. And yet your response to us is to move towards us with your grace and to find a way in yourself to forgive us and to welcome us in as your children. We will fight that message all our lives even if we commit to it. So speak to us through that grace today, through these words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I do, I don't know if you like Mexican food, Mexican takeout food. Um, you know, it tends to be if you like, if you do like Mexican food, then you'll have wherever you live, whatever, you know, whether it's in Lincoln or South Sac or downtown or some other city, you, um, you're going to end up having your favorite taqueria, the one that you'll go to, you know, the go-to taqueria for you for whatever reason. Because, you know, in, in some ways someone could say, oh, they're all the same, you know, you got your chips, you got your, you know, every menu item, you might cynically say, sorry, lovers of Mexican food, that it's, oh, it's just some combination of tortilla and cheese and meat and rice and beans and just put it in all different ways and that's, that's all the menu is. But, you know, if you like... Mexican food, you're going to have your favorite taqueria. Mine is the one that's closest to here. It's La Fiesta. 
Um, some of you have been there. Some of you are going there after the service today for lunch. Um, uh, more of you maybe are going to try it today. I'm getting paid, actually, to mention it this morning. Um, but it's my favorite one because as much as things, you know, that are all the same, you can expect to find chips and a salsa bar and many taquerias, I actually um, pick La Fiesta because of that exact uh, part of their setup, is their chips and salsa bar, which if you've been there, you know. It's, it's just this endless free-for-all with the chips. I mean, they're good, but then there's no restrictions on it. I mean, it's just... I mean, I, I think I could probably walk into there and order a glass of water and then just go over to the chip bar. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could get away with it because it's just there, it's open. They do try to restrict, I think, the salsa a little bit by giving you these tiny little cups that you can hardly fit anything in. I think they just want to keep you moving and get you, you know, get people going. But, but I, really, compared to some of the other taquerias I've been to, um, this is actually a great metaphor for, for different kinds of approaches to God. It's the chip approach, the chip metaphor. Because you go into other places and you get this, literally another taqueria I won't, I'm not getting paid to mention this morning. Um, they offer you a tiny little boat, you know, paper boat of chips. It's got about five chips in there. And then that's maybe what you get. But then if you want more, it's a pay-as-you-go thing, you know. So, I mean, you compare these two approaches, the generous, you know, indiscriminate uh, distribution of chips versus the, the tiny little pay-as-you-go thing, I think it's a perfect illustration for God and the Christian faith. So that's where I'm starting this morning. Some of you are going to walk away going, that was the most helpful thing I've ever heard Mark say. And others of you are like, that was ridiculous. I can't believe that happened in church. But, um, but really, when we look at this story, and we're looking at a story that's very human, it's got human characters in it, um, it's very, you know, it's this, this interchange, this interplay of approaching Jesus. And this is exactly what you see. Is you see the mercy of God generously dispensed and indiscriminately distributed. And that's what this, this woman, as she comes into the pictures, so you got these three characters. We're just going to look at it and see what we learn about this generous mercy by looking at the woman, looking at Jesus and looking at the disciples. You look, kind of look through the lens of each of these people and their, their part in the story and you see how, to, how this generous mercy unfolds. Um, and it unfolds in healing and restoration being brought, especially to the woman, but as we'll see, kind of beyond that, even today. So the woman. She's described by Jesus as having great faith and that seems to be, so, you know, we'll spend a little bit more time on her and the others will just kind of be brief. But the woman seems to be held up as an example for anyone who's going to hear about this story uh, in the future. She's talked about as having great faith. Now, that's kind of a surprise because she's described as a Canaanite. Um, that word is not used when the Gospel of Mark tells the story. Um, which is interesting because he goes a little more technical with the modern day description of her as a Greek woman from Syria, Phoenicia, Syrian Phoenicia. You know, just kind of this technical modern day. Matthew goes with something that taps into this whole bigger story of the people of Israel. And you might have some connections or knowledge of that. But Canaanite, that's the people who were who are the non-God-seeking people in the land who kind of become the enemy and always the people of God are defined against the Canaanites. Um, 
And here you have, so you have her described as a Canaanite, which was also technically true, but I think intentionally used here to say, look at where the story has come. She had, she was, was really, when you look at her, she should not have had this kind of great faith. She should not have been coming to Jesus and calling him, if you notice in the story, calling him the son of David. She is a, in terms of the, the greater arc of the biblical story, she's an outsider. She's not within this, this culture of the story of God. She doesn't know the story. She shouldn't know. In fact, she'll probably, most people like her would be offended anytime they kind of cross the geographic region and, 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 and rub shoulders with their, their first century Jewish neighbors because there would have been this just insider, outsider, you're not one of us, God's blessing doesn't flow to you kind of mentality. She should not be walking up to Jesus and saying, as someone who maybe is a first century Jewish person would maybe say, if they really saw Jesus for who he was in the grand scheme of things, and would say, you're the son of David. You know, this, this Messiah kind of phrase. She walks right into this as an outsider. She shouldn't have this kind of faith. And you say, well, what's going on? And the answer is, God is at work. It's, very, it's a very simple point to start with as we as we launch off into what's going on here. God is at work. And, and you might even resonate a little bit as you look at the story at that feeling of, of being the, the person that would you'd least expect to be coming to Jesus, be you know in the kind of place you are perhaps now of saying, yeah, you know, I'm looking to Jesus for healing and restoration in my life and trying to figure it out. God just grabs the most unlikely people and puts this kind of faith inside of them. So what kind of faith is it? What do, what do we learn from this model of faith who comes from the outside, who's a Canaanite? What do we learn from her? If we just look at her in the story, you kind of walk through and say, what is she doing? What is she exhibiting? She comes in in verse 22. She, um, she calls him the son of David and asks for mercy. Then in verse 25, she's uh, kneeling, bowing. It's a posture of worship. And then also in that verse, thirdly, she's asking for help. And then finally, probably the most astounding thing of all, is she accepts a derogatory ethnic slur for herself. When Jesus uses the kind of the metaphor of giving bread to the dogs, she, she, she basically says, okay, I'll enter into that metaphor. I'll allow that to be what, what you're calling me. And it doesn't deter her. So th- th- these are the things we're seeing in her, this... Son of David, asking for help, bowing and accepting this very... What she's doing is she's coming to Jesus with something that's... And coming to God, in a sense, with something that's very rare. She's uh, willing to lower herself and to lift up God in her pursuit of having God in her life. Lower herself lift up God. And in a sense, what that does, what the summary of it is that I want you to remember is that she is coming to God on the basis of God's mercy alone. You just step, step back and you say, what are, the, what are the things that we tend to come to God and expect Him to be in our life? What is the basis on which we might, if we were to say to God, I want you in my life, what are the things that might come with that that we might assume um, are the foundation of how that might happen or why God might listen to us? Um, well, God, because I have, you know, the best of intentions, um, because in some way you owe me, or because maybe, it, you know, you come to God and it's expressions of 
of, of just being kind of mad at God and saying, these, you know, I'm talking to you, but these things, these horrible things have happened in my life and I need some answers here. So prove yourselves. And sometimes as we explore God, we get in a mode of almost um, seeing Jesus as we, as we explore who Jesus is and how he might help us meet God. Jesus comes out being kind of our, um, a consultant for hire and we're, we're looking at his resume to see if he measures up. Um, and if he measures up on that basis, we might perhaps, um, you know, find a connection on God. So there's all kinds of things that we might bring when we're looking for God to be close. She bases the whole thing on God's mercy for her. It's a very humbling way to approach God. It's a humbling way to approach Jesus. And, you know, at City Life Church, we, we say this over and over again that this is a safe place to explore faith. And you can be in an investigation mode for as long as you want. You can be in looking at Jesus' resume for a long time, and, and we know that that needs to be a part of many people's story. But let me just plant a seed if you're in that kind of a place. That what if, in the end of all the searching, all the question asking, all the being mad at God, what if, in the end, you're going to end up, it's going to look a lot like this Canaanite woman. <laughs> that you're going to end up meeting God only on the basis of his mercy, which means... Taking the sort of, but what if it ends up looking a lot like this woman that you encounter God, you meet God, mainly when it comes down to it, you, your posture is that of kneeling before a king, <laughs> kneeling before a master and saying, oh lowly me, would you please just, you know, what I'm going to hang on to as I come to you, the only thing is how gracious and merciful you are. And I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, place my money on that. <laughs> I'm going to place all my hopes on the fact that you say you are a merciful God. In a sense, she ends up saying in this story, um, it's, just, it's really just astounds me, she ends up saying, okay, I'm a Canaanite walking right into this room full of Jewish people who are just you know, practically sneering at me. I walk right into the middle of it and say, okay, I'm a Canaanite, but you know what? I think you're merciful. I believe that you are merciful enough that that is not a barrier between you and me. And then Jesus, almost kind of playing with maybe or testing this out a little bit, brings up the issue of, yeah, but is it okay to give the, the bread to the, you know, to the dogs, the children's bread to the dogs? And she says, all right, I'm a dog. But you know what? I'm, if I am, I'm a dog at the table or under the table of the most merciful master, and I know you're going to feed me. I know you're going to look after me. So that's okay, I'll take that, because you're my master. I mean, this is the kind of... She's saying, I know how merciful you are. She believes this so strongly that she's undeterred by Jesus' you know, use of this dog metaphor, and it's just... It just this is why, if you ever re have read this story before, and you end up, why is he saying she has great faith, or what is it? That's why. She is going to him only on the basis of God's mercy. So if you ever, you know, if you ever wonder, what, is there some kind of formula? And I know the Bible's not often giving you for, as many formulas as often preachers will tell you that it's giving you, you know, steps one through five of getting close to God. But if you do want, to, want some kind of formula, this, this story does hold up this woman and say, she's bowing down, she's worshiping him, and she's basing her whole chance and hope nothing, on nothing of her own, but on his mercy. And she comes out experiencing the healing and the restoration in her life she's always longed for. And you might experience the same if you approach him in that way. 
Now, we also look at Jesus in this story. What do we learn from Jesus? What do we learn about the, the really the, the, the mercy of God just breaking out liberally um, in this story? I, I think this is just, just as astounding as the woman's faith, is when you look at the story, you see that here you have this drastic contrast. If you're really kind of reading the story in context text, you have, you have a woman who's um, you know, from the wrong side of the tracks, and she's coming to Jesus as if he is the be-all and end-all of spiritual food and saying, I'll take crumbs because your food is so good for me. You're, you're going to feed me spiritually. So I'm coming to you. I'm undeterred. I want what you got. And if you read around the story, before and after, it's riddled with examples of the people who were Jesus' primary audience, not outsiders, primary audience, Jewish first century folks, even the religious folks, saying, treating, treating him and treating his teachings as if they're not even close to food, treating him like it's poison, like he's got poisonous teachings, like he's a poisonous presence. So just think about that in terms of Jesus himself. And, you know, he has a sense of call in life. Just imagine whatever your life is all about and you're getting constant resistance. Whatever it is that you've, you know, you do in your day job or hobbies on the site, you're just getting constant resistance, people not believing in you. And then you get this, this breath of fresh air from out of nowhere, this person from, you know, kind of beyond the inside. And she's just, she's getting it. She gets it. And she's coming to Jesus saying, yes, I know who you are. And I want it. I want it so bad. Amazing contrast. Amazing contrast. And the astounding thing is this, is that Jesus basically says, with his language of the, the, the bread, the children's bread at the table and the dogs, he's basically saying, these people are my priority. These people who are so resistant to me are the, are the priority. Um, it's like Jesus has um, such tremendous grace, even for those who are resisting him. That um, it's a little bit like let's let's use a football analogy. I don't do this ever. Only a Super Bowl Sunday. Um, you know, like like Jesus sees an opening, <laughs> right? And instead of making a run for it for a touchdown, he just allows himself to get tackled. I mean, that's kind of it's like. And there's something going on here that, really, this is an opening that you think, if, if you're just anyone who has common sense, you say, enough with these, these resistant religious people who have, want nothing to do with me, treating me totally disrespectful, don't want anything to do with me, I'm going to go out to this new area, this, you know, where this woman comes from, because these people want what I got. And Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Why does he seem to suggest, my mission is with them right now, and not with you? Why does he do that? The answer really is, is another window in the, into the grace of God. Because he's going, all, these people who are not at all calling him the son of David, and he's going to commit to them, and it's, it, it's basically because of this. We're brought, we're brought right into this bigger arc of the biblical story again here. Because Jesus is saying this whole mission, this whole thing, started with the people of God, Israel. And if, I, if, if I'm the son of God coming with the salvation for this world, it has to come to them first. I'm not giving up on my children. I'm not giving up on the ones who I said so long ago, over and over, as they were unfaithful to me. I kept saying to them, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will not give up. I'm going to stick to my word. Even when these people are at their worst, 
I'm going to be gracious and I'm going to be available and scatter my grace even to them. Jesus made a covenant with Abraham or when he was called Abram in Genesis chapter 12 way back then and said, um, I will bless the world through you. Through you. So he's, he's saying, I go to my people first and then it expands out into this world. We're, in a sense, you're getting a window into the phase, the first phase of the Jesus ministry. And the second one would be the church after his death and resurrection. But what, you, what I really want to um, point out about this is that God is a God who sticks to his promises even when you deserve it the, the worst or the least. And I want you to think about whether maybe you, at some point in your life, you have been hurtful because of your strong beliefs that you are holding to. And then remember, in thinking about that, sometimes we have these regretful things and we look back to them and, oh man, I can't believe how I wasn't. Some of you have been hurtful in the you know, in the um, service of your strong beliefs and you need to know how gracious and restorative God's grace is in your life. Others of you have been hurt in the service of people's really strong beliefs and you need to know that as much as we give ourselves so much license to write off people once they've hurt us like that, that God, that Jesus doesn't write people off and that Jesus looks at those people who are writing, who are you know, bringing hurtful things to him and eventually you're going to take him to the cross. And he looks at them and says, these are my children. These are my children. Okay, so we look at the woman, we look at Jesus. Last, we look at the disciples. Now, the disciples, no surprise, because they're like us, um, they need a lesson in how readily Jesus dispenses his grace. And they end up in the story, they are following their instincts and they show themselves as they come to Jesus, they feel like they need to do something because Jesus seems way too neutral in the story starting out. He's not saying anything. They, they end up coming off annoyed and restrictive and ungenerous. Yeah, I'm just really glad none of you can relate to any of that <laughs> in your spiritual journey or in your thinking about other people. I mean, Jesus gives them and he gives us a lesson and it's a lesson in how um, generous and he, generously he dispenses his grace and really what he's saying is he ends up talking about the word sent. Who you know, He talks about his sending. He's saying, right now, this is my phase of ministry where I go to these folks. You know, he makes that statement. I'm here for the, the children of God, Abraham's children. That's my, this is my phase. But in the midst of that, he's giving the disciples a wonderful example about how the phase that's going to be their phase after his death and resurrection and the phase that's our phase is that they get to see him with this person who comes in without the credentials, without, you know, she comes kind of out of order. It's not that phase yet, but she comes in and she's eager and she has great faith and Jesus pours on the healing and restoration in her life. And it's a picture. It's something that when, in Matthew, at the end of Matthew, if you look in the same book at the very end, Jesus' words to the disciples were, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's the last few sentences of Matthew. It's when the transition of phases happens. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of... All nations. So now the phase, now it shifts. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know what? They're getting a window into the, 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 the generous, um, indiscriminate distribution of God's grace. 
that I think they would think of as they went out with that calling. And I think we need to think of how we don't know who walks into our lives next. We don't know um, if you're one of those people, you put yourself in in this faith, the Christian faith, and you are, you see yourself in line with these disciples in this movement of grace, and you want to know, how is God going to use me? What should my life look like if I'm a part of this mission of God that goes out into the world? Well, it's going to look like unexpected people from all walks of life, from all arenas of your life, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, your friends, your old friends, your new friends. You just don't know. And the disciples didn't know. So you know what they did as you read the book of Acts? They get this challenge. Go, make disciples of all nations. And they go back to Jerusalem. They go into the city and they gather together and they pray and they wait for the Holy Spirit. So if you're someone who's following Jesus and you're a part of this church and a part of our mission, I want you to think about prayer and the Holy Spirit. Every, every Sunday morning we have a prayer room off to the lobby and after the service, we have prayer happening up here. And in the service, if you haven't noticed, full of prayers, prayers that you say and join with, the prayers that we say up front. And you'll find also that the Holy Spirit gets mentioned a lot, and we ask for him to be a part of what we're doing and to bless us because we don't know what's next. We don't know who walks into our life and who God is working on right now. But what we do know, the model is set for us. We're in a phase now of of indiscriminate distribution of grace. Will you come and pray? And will you ask for the Holy Spirit? Let's do that now as we close. God of grace. Um, Whether we find ourselves just trying to get to know you like this woman this morning, the Canaanite woman, and we have some kind of belief, which is why we're making our way towards you, or whether we, we really do find ourselves embedded in this church and we say we are here we, we want to do your work may you use your Holy Spirit uh, to surprise us in ways that make us so confident that you are at work in this community and in our friends and in people who are not yet our friends but will be someday will you work will you break out indiscriminately with your grace as you have already begun to do right here in this community.